Great singing, Nate. Thank you so much for leading us, brother. This morning, before we get started, there's something that I would uh, like to do with you. I just feel kind of nudged by the Lord to have you do something this morning. I need to know how many of you have seen any part of a series that's a TV series, or actually it's kind of an online series called The Chosen. Raise your hand if you've seen any part of The Chosen. Maybe half of you. Uh, Another half of you need to see it because it's really well done. It's two seasons so far, going to be seven seasons long, and it's all on the life of Jesus, a depiction again of the life of Jesus. It's modern cinematography, so remember some of the stuff you've seen in the past, and it's like, eh, you know, it's pretty good, but, you know, it doesn't kind of hold up from a cinematography standpoint. This really does. And it, you know, takes a few liberties with the scriptures, tries to fill in some pieces, but not overly so. And one of the scenes that I love in it, it's first season, is when the people are bringing the man who's crippled and they know that Jesus can heal this guy. They just know it. But they come up to the, uh, the, the little home where Jesus is teaching from and he's teaching kind of right off the front door and there's all these people crowded around and there's no room. And so they sneak around the back and they have somebody help them get him up, the man, the crippled man, up on the roof. And in ancient times, there was often kind of a little spot where you would go up at night, cool off, maybe look over the stars and just kind of hang out. So they stood on that area and then they started ripping the roof apart and they dropped that crippled man right down, right into the scene where Jesus is teaching. And Jesus obviously has to take a moment to kind of acknowledge this thing that's happening. And Jesus is just, he's overwhelmed by it. This faith like this just doesn't exist. Look at these friends that have done this for this man that they love. I want to start off today and ask, who's your crippled man? What's your big issue right now? If you had one massive issue that's just keeping you up at night, what is it? Is it some relationship that's just like, man, that needs the touch of God? Some financial matter? Is it something maybe that you're dealing with in your own life? Maybe an illness of some sort or maybe even an addiction of some kind. And you're like, man, I need to take that thing, that issue, that person, that whatever it is, and I need to put that, I need to tear the roof apart and I need to put that down at the feet of Jesus. Could we do that right now? Just go ahead. Whatever that person, that thing, that issue, that overwhelming thing is, Put that at the feet of Jesus right now. Father, we come to you in faith and you're the healer of people through all times and you were pleased to do it. And that day you saw the faith of these friends and you rewarded that. You had that man stand up and walk. Lord, we believe that you're the the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's exactly the way Nate started this service and that's what we reinvest again in right now. We believe that. So take these matters that, that matter to us and make good in them. Lord, heal what needs to be healed. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Can I remind you that scene, if you watch it, that scene, they do something that Jesus biblically did and they make it a little bit more uh, clear. Jesus is teaching and there are these Pharisees that are there, religious teachers of the day, And they're there because they've heard that Jesus is healing and doing all these things, and they're there to be very critical. And Jesus looks right at one of the Pharisees, and he says to him, which is easier? Is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? And the man says, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. He says, that's right. It's easier to say that because who would know? 
If I say get up and walk, well then, you know, the man has to get up and walk or else that's not true. He says, so that you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, I'm telling this man, get up and walk. I bring that to your attention to say, they had something in mind, they wanted the healing of the man. Jesus had something bigger in mind, the salvation of the man. And I'm here to say, you brought something to the Lord just a minute ago. And in your mind is the perfect way that that gets solved. In your mind, it's like, Jesus, just do this. That would be perfect. And Jesus might be saying to you today, I I may do that the same way I healed that man, but there's something else that perhaps I care about even more than that, and I want you to be open for that, whatever that is. And I, I, I don't even know in your situation what that might mean, but I'm just saying be open because Jesus may be about fulfilling an even greater need a greater desire than the one that you're thinking about right now as it relates to that situation. That's all spur of the moment. I uh, had not planned that today, but I felt led to do that, and I'm glad that we did. We are opening the scriptures back up again today. We're in the series that I've called We Are Disciples. We're remembering that our mission corresponds very well to the video we watched on the Emissions Fest. We are interested, we're desiring, we are invested in making maturing disciples of Jesus. And last week, I introduced you to the four-chair discipling model. That's where the chairs are on the stage last week and again this week. And I'm going to go even more deeply about that today. Before I do that, let me remind you about something that happens in the state of Washington multiple times every year. I am always amazed at the number of people that get lost in the mountains on a hike. Have you, have you noticed that? It's like, here's another one in the paper. I mean, kind of doesn't happen as much in January as it does in July or August or September. But I read the paper, there's another one that's lost. And the same thing always happens. The person leaves their car at the trailhead. They don't come out. And then there's, uh, you know, again, maybe they've written on some kind of a log that they're hiking. So they know they're back there. And their family is maybe reported they didn't come home as, as planned. And so again, there's this massive effort to try to go find the person that these are lost or injured somewhere in the mountains. Now, this is always amazing to me because we live in this day of modern technology, of cell phones, of digital maps and all the rest. And perhaps we're seeing, you know, so many lost people precisely because of that, because we're so reliant upon those things. And when we lose those things that we suddenly don't know where we are anymore. My wife and I have a joke. We, our son was, you know, very much interested in Google Maps throughout all of his life, and especially when he drove places. And when he was in college, we said, you do know how to get to the grocery store without Google Maps, Right. You know, so it was a big question because, you know, every time he got in, he popped that up and he would always just follow the Google Maps wherever it said to go. Well, back again to uh, this lost person. Let's pretend that's you for a minute. And you're up in the mountains. You have no digital or cell coverage, so no digital services are available on your phone at all. But, but you do have a paper map. If you were trying to find your way out, the very first thing that you would need to do is find out where you are. Somebody said north. If you had a compass, that would be helpful. But you need to find out where you are. Even if you knew where, you were, where north was, but you didn't have an idea where you are right now. Like, how do, I, how do I know which way to go? And so you always have to find out where you are right now. Now, again, if you find out where you are right now, maybe you'd say, hmm, is there any river around here? That river would orient me if I had a map. I would say, I'm kind of, here's the river, and I'm kind of probably in this spot right here. Or you might say there's a peak, a, a very large peak. I look around, are there mountains around me? Can I identify a peak that's maybe nearby me? If you, oh, this would be Eureka. 
I found a road, and the road is on the map. Now all I need to do is decide which way to go, right or left, you know, on the, on the road. And so if I can find out where I am, then I have the best potential to be able to make my way, my, my way to safety. It's when I don't know where I am, or perhaps when I'm injured, again, many people are in that space, but if I'm, I'm well and I'm capable, I got to know where I am and where I'm going in order to be able to arrive at safety. I want you to know that today because that's true of your spiritual life too. It's true of you being able to make your way forward in your spiritual life. And so again, uh, know where you are. Now, again, before we dive into this today, some of you are resistant to diagnosing your spiritual state. You might be one that's saying, uh, I don't like to diagnose that for the same reason I don't go to the doctor. Because every time I go to the doctor, they tell me something that I don't want to hear. And so again, I'm kind of resistant to that information. I would rather live in denial than perhaps know the real problem. I don't necessarily have that with doctors, but I do have that a bit with dentists because I've had that so much dental work in my life. And so I'm always, I go to the dentist, but I'm always a little bit nervous to go to the dentist because I'm like, what is the dentist going to find? Are we going to find a cavity this time around? Or maybe I'm going to have a crown that needs to be replaced or, oh, 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 heaven forbid the dreaded root canal. No, no way I want one of those. So I'm always a little bit nervous. I go, but I'm always a little bit nervous to go because I don't know if I'm going to find out something that I don't want to hear. Now, again, if you don't go, then you're risking a lot of pain later, right? You're risking, oh, wow, you left that unaddressed and that cavity turned into something really, really bad. And so, again, that might be the motivation to have you go. You know the old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yeah, that's right. So we're kind of trying to make sure that we're doing some preventative things. And I'm here to tell you again this morning as we begin to uh, explore this four chairs idea that God calls us to evaluate ourselves and he calls us to evaluate our spiritual lives. Let me use a couple of verses this morning to orient you with that. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. It's on the screen behind me. Examine yourselves is it on the screen yet? 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Is it there? There it is. Thank you. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? There's value in you assessing your spiritual life, where am I with Jesus right now? Does he have full residence on the inside of me? Are there any things that are hindering my growth with him that need to be addressed? And so again, that's a verse that's reminding us. It's a healthy thing to do. It's like going to the doctor to be able to examine where am I really in my faith right now? Galatians 6 verse 4 is another verse that I want to bring to your attention. Each one should test their own actions then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. It's a verse very much in the same vein. We test ourselves because it's always easiest to do this. It's always easiest to compare myself to somebody else. And it's always easier to say, well, you know, at least I'm further along than she is. You know, I give more than she does or I pray more than he does. And so we can always easily compare ourselves to somebody else. 
That's not the test. That, that's not the race we're running is to test ourselves to somebody else. It's to actually wholeheartedly to be giving ourselves over to God and the call of Jesus and to progress in our spiritual lives. And none of us have arrived. We all have further steps to take. And so we're all in this process of becoming more like Christ and following Him more uh, wholeheartedly. Well, those are uh, the things that I want you to think about this morning as we dive in about assessing where you are. And if we can assess where you are, then you have the best potential to be able to take your next step in growth. And I want to come back to the four chairs again. I want to come back to the four chairs. If you are here last week, each one of those chairs represents one of the calls of Jesus to his disciples. That's, real, that's a real simple cut version. And we're going to talk about what each of the calls were this morning and then what you need in that chair in order to pursue growth. So let's go ahead and start off with chair one. It's to the far left. And chair one is uh, emblematic of the call of Jesus to come and see. To come and see. You remember we spoke about that last week. Before Jesus' disciples did anything, they were just called to come and hang out with him. That's all they did. There was not much commitment in that. There was just a lot of invitation to just come and explore. And that's exactly what Jesus' disciples did. They came and they saw. In essence, they were seeing, is this guy really worth following? And they were exploring that in many different ways. Individuals at this chair are called seekers. Uh, they don't know Jesus yet, but they are thirsty to know him or sometimes thirsty to know him. The persons likely have some built-up misconceptions about Jesus and the message of Jesus. And so they need to be exposed to the true Jesus, the Jesus of the Scriptures, and so again, that's one of the things that's happening right now is the people are taking in probably the scriptures and learning about Jesus, the real Jesus, for the first time. I still remember when I was in chair one years ago now, and I remember I had had very little exposure to the Bible, and I started reading Bible, my, the Bible for the first time. Somebody told me, hey, you need to start off in John. Well, I said, okay, I don't know that book from any others. That's a good place if you say so. So I start reading in the book of John, and I make my way to chapter 2, and there in chapter 2, Jesus takes his disciples to a wedding, and at that wedding, he turns water into wine. That's right. And I remember so vividly reading that and saying, you know, I, I heard about that. I, I heard that Jesus had done that, but I've never read that for myself. It always seemed like kind of a fairy tale out there, and this is making it sound like, like this is real life. This is really what happened. And I remember just feeling so, so encouraged by that. And like I wanted to keep going. I wanted to read more about this guy that I'd heard a lot about but I knew little about. And now I would say it was the Holy Spirit again prompting me, quickening me, moving me along. But I didn't have language for that at the time. All I knew was, wow, that is really cool and I want to read more about this guy that can turn water into wine. So that's what we're doing. We are exploring in chapter one. We're just taking our first steps to say, is this Jesus even worth my life? Is he worth me following? Here's what you also need to know is that at, at chair one, almost everybody who is going to progress out of chair one has one thing in common. They have a Christian friend. Did you know that? Studies that have been done repeatedly have shown that the overwhelming number of people who trust Christ have a Christian friend. And that Christian friend is somebody who loves them. That Christian friend is somebody who gives some gentle answers. That, uh, that Christian friend is somebody who offers Christian friendship or friendship in, in, the, in the earthly even way. And I realize that some of you are here today, you might say, you know, I'm not sure that I've ever really 
trusted Christ. I, or, or at least, I'm not sure if I have. I, I, I'm a little questioning about that, and, and I, I just don't know. Well, let me give you a few encouragements if you're at that spot. You're not sure. If you're maybe in chair number one, these are some things for you to consider. Number one, start reading the Bible for yourself. There's no substitute for that. Begin in the book of John, just like I did, or you might begin in the book of Luke. That's another good spot. Both are excellent snapshots of the life of Jesus. And you're going to encounter the real Jesus and not some wrong-headed notion about what Jesus might be like that's promoted by the culture. You're going to get firsthand eyewitness accounts of what Jesus was like. Second, talk to your Christian friend. This is a person that hopefully loves you. And there's a, a person there that's ready to uh, ask questions. You can ask questions to them. You can go deep with them. There's no dumb questions. There's no questions that are off limits. And here's the thing. You might have a Christian friend that can't answer every question you have. That's okay. Just be patient with them and learn together. Say, hey, let's go explore this together. Let's learn about this. And so the Christian friend that you have is very important. Third, don't become overwhelmed. I remember when I came to know Christ I was reading so much, and I was reading books, and I was reading the scriptures, and I was talking to people. And the more and the more that I explored, the more and more I knew, oh, man, there's so little that I understand. More questions spawn more questions, and pretty soon it was very easy for me to be overwhelmed. And I had to have a friend come alongside and say, hey, let's boil this all down. This is really not as complicating as you're making it. And so here's the central message. The central message is the gospel. The central message is this story about Jesus. Let me summarize that for you right now. All people, including you, including me, have sinned against the holy God. We've made mistakes. We've hurt people. We've even hurt ourselves. The Bible calls it again sin. And we've all fallen short of the mark of what God wants We've all really at the core desired, desired more of our own autonomy than we have to pursue God. We wanted to pursue ourselves more than we wanted to pursue God. That is a consequence, and the, con the consequence is spiritual death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And we have all found ourselves in this situation of being dead, of needing a new life. That was the very purpose of Christ. He comes into his earthly existence having a destiny with a cross. And he's going to go to that cross having led a perfect life in order that he might die on that cross and he might take the penalty of your sin, of my sin. And so again, that is what he does. That's what love motivates on the inside of Jesus is that he would take your place for the sins that you've committed and the penalty that goes with them. So Jesus does this, but there's one more thing that's needed, and the thing that's needed is I've got to personally act on that. I've got to personally receive that. It's like a gift that God wants to give, but you come up to somebody, you say, here, would you take the gift? And it's like they stand like this. It's like I'm not sure they're receiving that gift. And so again, the gift has got to be given, and the gift has got to be received, and that's what the Scriptures talk about, is individuals realizing what Christ has done and saying yes to that gift of answering and saying, you know what, I believe that that's true, and it's not just true in an abstract way, but it's true for me. And so we come to the space where we are receiving that gift and saying yes, and saying, Jesus, I am wishing now to follow you. I'm wishing to place my trust, my allegiance, my faith, my very life into your hands. Everybody who's moving from chair one to chair two has made that decision. Everybody. 
And there's nobody that's exempt from that. There's only one way to new life, and that life is through the cross and through Jesus. And so again, the answer or the question is, is that you? Have you done that? And again, we all have this problem. We've sinned against a holy God. We are in this spot of spiritual darkness, and there's no other way around that. In fact, I love the way that Greg Kukul puts it as we talk again about this problem that we have and how to overcome it. Here's what he says. Most ailments need particular antidotes. Increasing the air pressure in your tires will not fix a troubled carburetor. Aspirin will not dissolve a tumor. Cutting up credit cards will not wipe out debt that's already owed. If your water pipes are leaking, you call a plumber, not an oncologist. But a plumber will not cure cancer. Any adequate solution must solve the problem that needs to be solved. And singular problems need singular solutions. Some antidotes are one-of-a-kind cures for one-of-a-kind ailments. Sometimes only one medicine will do the job as much as we might like it to be otherwise. Mankind faces a singular problem. People are broken and the world is broken because of our friendship with God that's been broken. Ruined by human rebellion. Humans, you and I, are guilty, enslaved, lost, dead, all of us, everywhere, everyone. The guilt must be punished, the the debt must be paid, the slave must be purchased. Promising better conduct in the future will not mend the crimes of the past. No, a rescuer must ransom the slaves, a kindred brother, brother must pay the family debt, a substitute must shoulder the guilt. There's no other way of escape. Amen? Well said. Greg Kukul, I like that. Well said. So here we are. You're in chair one, potentially, and the way through chair one is to continue to explore and come to the space of saying, yes, Jesus. I am willing. I don't know everything, but I'm willing to learn, and I'm willing to say, I think you're the real deal and that you've paid the penalty for something that is big to me my sin and my rebellion against God. All right, the second chair is, features the calling of Jesus, follow me. We discovered last week that this was the call to all of Jesus' disciples. After, he had finished, uh, after they finished exploring a little bit about him, that was the call he made. He said, hey, follow me. And again, we said last week that no, uh, chair one assumes a certain level of curiosity, but chair two, that comes to a level of commitment. I'm saying yes, I'm saying, yes, Jesus, I want to know you better. I'm saying, yes, that I want to learn about the way that you lead life and start to pattern my life after that. And you're learning how to progress your spiritual life in chair number two. And you're learning how to have a steadiness in your life and your growth with Jesus. I want to take you back to something because I think this will help you understand chair number two. Do you remember back in grade school when you had your first best friend? I bet if I ask you right now, you would even remember the name of your first best friend. And here's what happened, maybe in second grade, third grade, fourth grade, somewhere around that spot, probably, it was when you had your first best friend. And when you had your first best friend, you spent a lot of time at each other's houses. And you went on bike rides together. And you went swimming together. You played checkers together. You had more lunches together than you can even remember. You uh, played ping pong. I mean, name it. You, you, went, you did all kinds of things that were just fun activities together. You played house in some way. You played board games. All of these things, you even argued at times when you were best friends. But one of the things that's common to all best friends is time. You spent time together. And in chair number two, 
That's what you're learning is about a relationship with a new person and there's no substitute for banking time. There's no substitute in a relationship. You cannot grow a relationship unless you are banking time and you're focusing upon building that relationship. I know that sounds abstract to some of you today, but that's exactly the way the scriptures talk about it. Is Jesus being that real? And I'm going to build that relationship with Jesus at chair two, especially. I'm not going to stop doing that, but at chair two, I'm really exploring that perhaps for the first time. All right. So what do you do? What are some of the ways that you build a relationship with Jesus? One of the ways is prayer. Prayer is simply talking to God. That's all that it means. It's having a conversation that happens daily, regularly with God about Jesus. And do you know that prayer is mentioned in the Bible 367 times? Let me give you a comparison for that. Sleeping is mentioned 111. So three times more the scriptures talk about prayer than they even do about sleeping, which is something we know a lot about, right? And so prayer is really, really, really important in the scriptures, and it's got important aspects that we can't even know about our own growth in Christ. I would like to kind of boil this down, make it really easy for you today, because I know we all struggle in this area. We need the training wheels in order to get better in this area. Here's the acronym. The acronym, get ready for it, it's PRAY. All right, so let me describe the acronym to you here, pray. It's praise, start with praise, and just saying, God, hey, you're big. God, you're, 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 you're bigger than I even know. Maybe you're reading a psalm or you're reading something in the scriptures that describes the way God is to be praised or the way that he's praiseworthy. You're repenting. You're humbly acknowledging your sin before God. You're remembering back yesterday, maybe this week. You're simply asking this question, Lord, is there some time at which, hmm, there was something just in my soul that I knew wasn't right. Maybe it was a conversation I had that didn't go well, and maybe I said some things I shouldn't have said. Maybe, maybe I took something that wasn't mine, and that's kind of coming back to me now. Maybe I saw something, I really, and I stared at it. I should not have lingered there, but I did. You get the idea. You're just, you're asking the Lord, is there just something there that I need to address? And you're saying, okay, I'm bringing that into the light. I'm asking you, Lord, uh, quicken me, remind me of what happened there and let me confess that to you. Maybe there's even some confessing I need to do to somebody else. But I'm starting with you, Lord, and I just want to walk with you and I want to have freedom before you. So I'm just taking a short account of anything that I may have done that displeased you. And if you're never having anything you did, that, you, that never comes to your mind, there's something wrong. Because all of us are continuing to sin and continuing to feel the forgiveness of Jesus for things that we've committed yesterday, even though I've known Christ for so long. That's still my capacity, and I still do that. And so there's times in which I need to confess before the Lord, or I need to, here's the word, R, repent. Number three, I'm asking. And that's simply asking God to provide for my needs and the needs of individuals around me. And so all I'm doing is just bringing people to the Lord. I'm bringing myself to the Lord and saying, hey, I've got this big meeting. I've got this big thing, this nut I'm trying to crack. And Lord, I need your help. And so you're just asking Jesus for things that he, you know that you need in your life. And finally, yield. As an act of submission to God's will, you're saying, Lord, again, I think that I know the way that this all goes, but maybe I don't. So I'm yielding to you. I'm yielding to the way that you want to do this. And you're patterning yourself after Jesus who said, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. And so again, you're just taking that posture again before God of saying, uh, I don't know it all, but I'm going to yield to you. 
Don't make it complicated. I've only tried to give you four things so you can kind of get a, a little bit of a rubric or a little bit of a model to be able to pray. But more importantly than that is just to pray. Just to stop at some spot in your day and say, Lord, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to address you and I'm going to talk to you about things that matter to you and things that matter to me. All right. Second is the emphasis upon reading the scriptures. I encourage you, get a Bible reading plan of some kind. I use regularly the Bible app. I love it. I have used it for years, and it helps me stay on track. And so again, find yourself a Bible plan. Maybe it's a book of the Bible that you're reading, or maybe it's uh, uh, the Old Testament or the New Testament that you're reading through, but it's just coming week after week and giving you the opportunity, or day after day, and coming and giving you the opportunity to have a specific aspect of the Scriptures that you're taking in. And that's what you're doing. You're just letting it flood into your soul. You're making it part of you. And I'm the first to say, the Bible's a difficult book to understand. It really is. It's ancient literature. People don't write like that anymore. And so we have to work sometimes to be at it. But stay with it, because after a while, the scriptures start becoming more common, more familiar. You know more about the stories and more about the people. And suddenly it starts to kind of have a gravity with you that maybe it didn't a month ago, or maybe it didn't a year ago. And so again, the issue is to know this is a marathon, not a sprint. Don't lose heart. You're going to lose heart at some point, but keep going. And so again, just keep going and keep taking the scriptures in because slowly but surely God's going to use that in your life. Number three, uh, if you're in chair two, is to explore your identity in Christ. And you need to be reminded that God truly loves you and that he as a sh you're, he's assuring you of his work in your life. There is something that is a lie that's so easy to believe and you need to arrest this very quickly. And here's the lie. God only loves me if I do blank. God only loves me if, if, if I'm acting right. God only loves me if I'm good. No, 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 no. That's not the gospel. And that's not where we progress in the Christian life. God loves me always because now I am in Christ. Christ is mine. I've, I've got the blood of Christ that's covering me. And so this allows me to again say, Lord, I want the change that you have in my life for sure. But I don't need to perform in order to have you love me any more or any less. And so I want to wrap myself around all of the things that happened as I came to know you as my Savior. There's all kinds of gifts that you've now given me. And there's an identity that you've given me that I didn't have before. For instance, I'm a new creation with new appetites. Some things that I love to do before, I don't love to do anymore. And there's some brand new things that I'm finding more appetites to do. I didn't used to love to pray, but now I'm learning how to pray. I didn't used to love the scriptures, but I'm learning how to do that. And so there's all kinds of new things that are happening. I'm a child of God. I'm a member of this family that's called the church. I'm a friend of Jesus. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm not even close to exhausting that, but you're looking over the scriptures. You're making notes in your Bible, and you're saying, what's true about me now? And in chair number two, that's crucial. You can't move forward unless you're getting a good snapshot of who you are now and how that's different from who you were before. There's other things that you will explore in chair two. Here's some of them. Resolving strained relationships around you. Forgiving people who have harmed you. Uh, con confessing to God when you sin. Giving as an act of faith. Being baptized in obedience to Jesus, learning how to study the Bible, serving others using your gift, addressing addictions or deep-seated hurts in your life, and many, many others. And so at chair number two, you are giving your full attention to your growth in Jesus. And by the way, nobody else can do that for you. 
Mom can't do that for you. Your wife can't do that for you. It takes you giving attention to where you are right now and how Jesus is progressing your life. And get ready because failures are common. You're going to fail. You're going to have times at which you don't do what you want to do and you're going to say, oh man, I'm just so frustrated by that. That's okay, that's normal. And so keep going in the midst of that. You've got an enemy who wants to derail you. Satan will work overtime to try to discourage you and move you away from pursuing Christ. But Christ's strength and his presence is greater and so you will confess much. You will experience love and forgiveness very much And that's what it means to be in chair two. If you believe you're in chair two, then I encourage you to write down some specific actions you want to take and share that with somebody. In fact, maybe even in your community group, you're starting to share with each other if you're in chair two, hey, these are some of the things I want to address. Help me with those. Ask me about those. I want to grow and I want to have your help in being able to move in the direction in which I want to go. All right. Let's move to the third chair. The third chair features the calling of Jesus. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Becoming a fisher of men means that you have an increased desire for people who don't know Jesus yet. We care about the church. We care about growing relationships deep in the church. But we also care about individuals who don't yet know Jesus. And we are not allergic to creating relationships, to having relationships with those individuals. Let me give you an example. Many of you know, in fact, all of you probably know, that I love pickleball. That's one of my games. I play that game probably four or five times a week right now. And so I'm on the courts a lot with individuals. And that has become the predominant place where I am making friends with people who don't know Jesus. Let me give you an example. I've got one of the guys. His name is also Brian. And every time he shows up with this shirt on, I notice it. The shirt says, do all things in love. And I said to him, Brian, I love your shirt. Why do you love my shirt? I said, because it's a passage from the Bible. Didn't tell him 1 Corinthians 16 verse 15, that's where it's from. I didn't say that to him, but I said, I love that. It's a, it's a passage from the Bible and what a great sentiment. And he goes, that's so ironic. He says, because it's a, a shirt from a, a beer brewery. You know? And I, I was like, that makes it even better. I said, no doubt there are Christians that run that brewery because they put that, that, that passage so prominent on their shirt. Every time he wears that shirt now, he comes to me and says, hey, I got your shirt on. I was like, yeah, I, I love that. In between games, off to the sides, I'm finding out about people's lives. I'm finding out about cancer in people's families. I'm finding out about hardships that are financial hardships. I'm finding about marriages that are cracking or in trouble. I'm finding out about children who have gone off the rails in all different kinds of ways. And I'm just taking an interest in individuals' lives. And that is the starting point to seeing people come to know Christ. My friends are in chair one. Some of them are in active need of a Savior, and some of them don't know. Some of them are so, uh, you know, they're they're pursuing life and they're doing other things. And so again, you know, they're, they're at different spaces, but it takes courage and it takes boldness to be in chair three and to talk to people who are back in chair one and to just spend time with them. This is so easy. Can I give you like the operative question? How are you? And look at them as if, 
I'm really willing to listen. This is not hard, people. You can do this. And many of you, many of you, 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 you're ready. You're ready for the next step with the Lord. You've spent a long time in chair two kind of working on yourself. And Jesus is saying, come out, come out, take this risk. Spend time with people. Invite some non-Christians into your life. Invite some non-Christians into your home. I promise it will be a good thing. And that's what it means to be in chair three is to be a person who's now saying, I'm taking an interest and I'm taking some risks in my life. Can I give you a list of some things that are chair three things that you might do? Here it is. Make a list of five friends who are not Christians and pray for them. Everybody could do that. Remember we had the ping pong balls? That was an act of, of that uh, aspect of us. We had a ping pong ball and we put ping pong balls in there of individuals who didn't know Christ and we prayed for them as a church. That was an act of, of chair three discipling. Invite non-Christians into your home. Write your own testimony and how, about how you came to know Christ. Learn how to explain the gospel to others in simple terms. Learn the answers to commonly asked questions about Jesus or the Bible or faith. And continue your walk in practicing life, uh, chair two lifestyle. So you can never go and say, well, I'm at chair three now, so I can just like forget about chair two. That was in my rearview mirror. No, you're still doing all the things at chair two, but now you're also moving to this other aspect of saying, I'm gonna care about some individuals who are not in the faith. I know, again, so many of you are right on the edge of this and you just need the nudging, you need the encouragement. You need to be able to take that risk and move to chair three. Here's one of the ways that you might want to be cautioned about doing that. Donald Miller wrote the book Blue Like Jazz years ago, and he talked about his view of evangelism when he wasn't walking himself with the Lord very deeply. Here's the way he described it. I could not in good conscience tell a friend about faith that didn't excite me. I couldn't share something I wasn't experiencing, and I wasn't experiencing Christianity. I didn't do anything for me at all. It didn't do anything for me at all. It felt like math, like a system of rights and wrongs and political beliefs, but it wasn't mysterious. It wasn't God reaching out of heaven to do wonderful things in my life, and if I would have shared Christianity with somebody, it would have felt mostly as if I was trying to get somebody to agree with me rather than to meet God. If that is your view right now of Christianity, move back to chair two immediately. Go back. Let faith become real to you. It must become reality to you. Evangelism is not about arguments. It's not about beating people down. It is about introducing them to this loving Savior who has all kinds of good for them. Why wouldn't anybody want that? I mean, it's just like introducing candy to somebody. Everybody's like, yes, please give me some of that. And so that's what, that's what it's got to be about. That's the lifestyle that's led at, th at chair three. And that's what it's like to be around somebody. It's easy to be around that individual because they just have so much love for me. And I want to hear what they have to say. Now, again, I, I realize there are going to be times at which it's going to be hard. Individuals don't want to hear. And maybe you take some steps in which there's a little blowback. I get all that. But that's what it means to be in chair three is to begin to have a love for people and to want to have those conversations. Maybe, maybe in your community group, you'd start talking about the individuals that don't know Christ. And maybe you would have a celebration when you come to your community group and say, man, you're not going to believe it. I had this conversation today that went like this. I, I'm constantly coming home and telling Denise that. You're not going to believe it. I had this conversation with so-and-so. It looked like this. And we kind of, we reminisce that and we celebrate that. And man, if somebody trusted Christ with you, partay. I mean, it's, it's big. I mean, it's a big deal. 
You know, so again, that, we would love for that to just be commonplace, that we're just constantly talking about individuals that we know that are in chair one, and maybe some of them are just even seeking and desiring. How do I come to know an answer for the problems that I have? And, and Jesus, of course, is that answer. All right, I'm going to move to chair four. I have just a couple minutes for that. Chair four is go and bear fruit. That's the call that Jesus gives. And chair four is individuals who've moved through chair one, chair two, chair three. And now they're individuals that we might call a discipler. We might call a mentor. They have a growing commitment in their lives for the next generation. They want to see new leaders that are grown. And chair four faces some very unique challenges. Chair four faces some people oftentimes, who have, you know, had a level of success, as it were, in following Jesus. They, they know how to do a lot of things. They know answers to a lot of questions. And here's the thing that may face chair four people more than anything else. Uh, Paul David Tripp says it this way. They face a loss of awe. They no longer have awe of the things of God. It might go like this. You read again the story of Jesus raising Lazarus. And you're like, yeah, I remember that story. It's a good one. Compared to the person who reads it for the first time that says, can you believe it? Jesus calls this guy out of the grave and he's got grave clothes on. He looks like a mummy. And it's so awesome. I mean, can you believe it? The women were just beside themselves. And, and here Jesus does this miraculous thing. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah, I remember that one. It's like it's so easy for us in chair four to depend more upon ourselves than we depend upon God. And chair four is all about doubling down and saying, I'm not, I'm not too much beyond learning. And although I'm perhaps caring for some people further down the road, or I'm further down the road, so I'm caring for the individuals to bring them forward, I'm still not losing my own dependence upon God. I'm not losing my own awe of God. And I'm always back to well, here it is. I'm back to my first love. That's what I'm trying to rekindle over and over again is my first love. If I'm not doing that, I'm probably becoming arrogant. I'm in need of humility. And here's the other thing I would say about chair four. I just hit and run on this, but how many leaders do we know that we would consider in chair four that have flamed out? Too many. Too, too, too many. And that's because, again, I think they forgot the awe of God. They became more dependent upon themselves and more dependent upon God. And that's not what any of us want if we arrived at chair number four. All right. So there you have it. A brief description of what you do in the four chairs. And so my question to you is, where are you? What chair are you in? And what steps would you take in order to progress to the next chair? I'm glad you asked that question. On the stage right here, and on the other side of the stage, and also up in the balcony on that side, I have another gift for you today. Last week, I gave you a framework of the four chairs. It's on the stage again today if you want that. And this week, I've provided for you an assessment. It's by the same company that developed the four chairs model. And it's assessment with 28 questions. And you answer the questions, and it says, okay, likely you're in this space. You're in chair one, chair two, chair three, chair four. And therefore, if you knew that, you would be able to take some concrete steps forward in growth. That's the idea. And again, the questions are, you know, easy to answer. I would say this, this is a tool. This is not the, you know, the gospel, as it were. This is a tool. So use it as a, a talking point. 
Perhaps there's somebody else you're saying, you know, I'm trying to decide where I am and what my next steps of growth are. And so maybe you talk with your husband or wife about it. Maybe you talk in your community group about this and you say, let's talk about where we are and how we, how we move forward. And so it becomes a conversation spot with others. And so again, I've got that on the stage and that's something that you can use. You're only failing if you're not progressing. Uh, it doesn't make a difference which chair you're in today. Identify wherever you are and move forward. You're only failing if you're not progressing. All of us are progressing in our walk with God and that's what the next step is. If you're in chair one, explore, ask more questions. If you're in chair two, work on your spiritual life, especially some of the essentials and prayer and reading the scriptures. If you're in chair three, take some risks. Get out there, take some risks. God will be with you. And if you're in chair four, make more disciples and be dependent upon God. Endure to the end. We care about making maturing disciples of Jesus. I intend for the four chairs to become common language for us. This is not the last time you're going to hear this. This is becoming common language for us so that we can help each other grow. So that we can say, this is legitimately where I am. And if I'm going to grow with Christ, these are some steps I need to take. And so we're doing this. Why? Because we care about each other and because we care about honoring and glorifying our Lord. Let me pray. Lord, a lot covered today. And I pray that uh, individuals here today and individuals that are listening online are taking this to heart and asking you, where am I really? And if I were to take steps of growth, what might some of those be? And there would be a roadmap that they would want to take to this spot of ultimate freedom and ultimate love and security, all those things that you wish to offer, that they would be finding that in Christ our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your goodness to us, recording so much in the scriptures that we need, and quickening us even today with the gift of your Holy Spirit. We rely upon you in all ways. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.